The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on Twitter to join these conversations live and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets. And now, on to our Lead Lag Live discussion hosted by Michael Guyot. My name is Michael Gayed. I am the publisher of the Lead Lag Report. Uh, special guest Diego Perilla, Quadriga Funds, uh, written a couple of books. So let's let's kind of uh, you know because oftentimes when I do these spaces, uh, Diego, I don't really know uh, too much beyond what I see from the timelines of the special guests. So first time you and I are speaking, obviously, uh, educate my educate me, educate the audience who you are, what's your background, and what your uh, what your books cover. Sure. Um... So thank you for having me. Um, I am um, originally from from Spain. I'm a mining and petroleum engineer. I did my uh, master's in mineral economics at the Colorado School of Mines in Golden and the French Institute of Petroleum in Paris. And I did my thesis in something called real options, which uh, got me uh, my, my first job into, into investment banking with J.P. Morgan in London in the mid-late 90s. I was in the uh, macro commodities desk, and I worked uh, for Goldman Sachs and Merrill Lynch afterwards, always in the uh, commodities division, and moved on later on to, to the buy side, where I was a, a portfolio manager with, with my own firm and, and some large players like Bluecrest or, or Diamond Asia. And Old Mutual before I moved back to Madrid, where I'm managing partner at, at Quadriga, uh, which is a 1.8 billion asset and wealth manager, where I, where I run a, a, a macro volatility tail risk fund. Um, I, I've written two books, as, as you mentioned. Uh, the first one is uh, a bestseller in the energy markets. I, I co-wrote it with my good friend, uh, Daniel Lacalle, uh, published in English, in, in Spanish, in Chinese. And the thesis at the time, this is written 2013-14, it was a, a very contrarian thesis that argued for, for the flattening of the world, the sort of uh, convergence across regions and, and, um, and energies, which, uh, which has played out. And, and I think right now we have uh, uh, an incredibly interesting dynamic with, with uh, you know, so many of these dynamics in play, but uh, obviously challenged by uh, geopolitical events. Um, so happy to discuss that. The, the second book is called The Anti-Bubbles or Anti-Bubbles, uh, where I coined the, the concept of uh, anti-bubble. And it's a very, once again, a very contrarian uh, view uh, to, 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 the, to the market. 
Uh, at the time, this is published in 2017, uh, very contrarian of monetary and fiscal policies without limits, and and sort of trying to to play this this chess game into, into how does this end, and, um, and 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 the thesis again has been arguably uh, reinforced with the passage of time, and and as I normally say uh, when I when I dedicate the book, uh, I hope you like it, and, and I hope I. I, uh, I'll be proven wrong because uh, a lot of things that are happening, uh, I think, were, were to be expected in some ways, and uh, and so I think the, you know, to put things in perspective, you know, my, my view uh, to summarize the this book is, you know, la- last decade was really about the transformation of risk-free interest into interest-free risk uh, with uh, this brutal. Uh, you know, artificial interest rates uh, in nominal terms uh, and has dramatically distorted things. And I think if I was to summarize the next decade, um, I think it's the transformation of bubbles too big to fail into uh, stagflation. And um, and so uh, in in that sense, you know, what, what we do is uh, with, with the fund that I, I, I manage, um, you know, we it's a very defensive strategy by by mandate. Uh, we're up uh, roughly thirty five percent this year, um, and we did also very well during uh, during the, the COVID crisis. And uh, arguably, we, we we suffered during more benign times. So, for those who are familiar with soccer or, or football, I, I normally define ourselves as a little bit the goalkeeper of, of the team um, and, and and try to play along with. With other components of the team, and hopefully uh, win the matches as, as a whole. So um, that, that's a little bit of a, a, a summary of who I am. And I'm based in Madrid, and I'm very excited to be with you today. That's right. I didn't realize the uh, connection of Daniel uh, Lacalas. He actually had emailed me uh, to do a quote for his uh, new book that that he's releasing soon. So uh, he and I interact quite a bit. So. Yeah, very, uh, very knowledgeable guy and and uh, very, very nice guy. So, okay, wh- when you said anti bubble, my mind went to anti fragile. Uh, maybe it's because of the anti, right, from Nassim Taleb. But, but let, let's talk about bubbles here for a moment because there's this old joke that a bubble is the thing that you're not in, right? Because because you know if you're making money, you know you're not gonna think it's a bubble. You're gonna think it's because of your own skill set. Right? You're gonna think it's because of your own analysis as opposed to a blip, a moment in time. Now, there is a, an argument which I think is valid that we're in an environment where you can never fully get rid of a bubble. You can just change where the bubble goes to because if you ultimately cause a deflating of a bubble, however one defines that, that that ends up having much bigger implications on the real economy because it means you have some kind of massive deleveraging and, and societal pain, economic recession, depression, so on and so forth. Talk about the, the sort of the, the the approach that you took with the anti bubble book and if you think what we've seen coming out of COVID is a bubble or or not. Sure. Um I think you know I, lo- I love the quote you, you used. I, I, I like to borrow sort of George Soros perspective and, and and he he would define bubbles as assets that are artificially expensive based on a belief that happens to be false, what, what he calls a misconception. And, and so uh, what I did, a little bit like a, a 
so the bubbles are you know situations where the emperor had no clothes i mean it, it was it was it was just totally artificial so what what i did is i as an engineer i sort of look to generalize the framework and say okay uh, misconceptions can distort reality uh, but not only through artificially high valuations which we call bubbles but we could also have artificially low valuations which is what i called an, an anti-bubble and there are three dimensions to to the concept the first one is this idea of assets that are grossly artificially cheap based on a on a misconception right so in some ways is some sort of extreme value um the second dimension has to do with the fact that bubbles and anti-bubbles are effectively two reflections of the same process. They are uh, almost like distorted mirror images of the same misconception. So by construction, the moment the misconception is understood uh, and the bubble bursts is the exact same moment that the anti-bubble reflates. And and so I called it anti-bubble, a bit like an antivirus or an anti-missile. It's it's more of a an inverse or a, de- a defense mechanism against against the bubbles. It's some sort of hedge. And and the third dimension that I think is relevant, it's the idea of of being contrarian, uh, being to some extent linked to some some degree of risk premium. And perhaps one of the easiest examples or, or most clear examples in my view of bubble anti-bubble relationship is the S&P and the VIX. So I would argue that artificially low volatility actually contributes to artificially high equity prices. And this happens both through qualitative and quantitative drivers. So qualitatively would be you know, the perception that there's no risk, the complacency, this idea that uh, the central bank put, you know, that mommy and daddy are always going to come to the rescue. And quantitatively, because artificially low volatility actually feeds into a lot of quantitative models, uh, such as uh, trend following or, or risk parity uh, uh, that, uh, or vol targeting, whereby you find yourself in a situation where uh, the equity market is at the top, uh, volatility is at the lowest, and basically, they're uh, maxed long at the top, uh, which is probably not necessarily the the best thing to do, especially when when you have these volatility bursts that in the market collapses. And and this is a the bubble anti bubble relationship is is a bit of a reflexive relationship, so they both influence each other. And it could well be that it's a big move in volatility that actually triggers the the bubble uh, and the implosion of the bubble. Uh, or vice versa, is, is, is the move in the bubble by its own weight. Um, do I think, uh, you know, uh, post-COVID, we, we've, we've seen a bubble? Well, I think that the bubble was already uh, created, and, and, and the bubble uh, long before. I think we were in a, in, a, in a situation where, you know, for decades, we've been, we haven't really been solving problems. You know, every time we face a problem, we do, you know, a number of things. The, the first one, is uh, we try to to kick the can down the road. I mean, you, you're basically uh, you know delaying the problem uh, in the form of uh, perhaps taking taking more debt, uh, you know, bringing interest rates down, whatever, uh, providing liquidity. Uh, but by doing so, you're not really solving the problem. Where you're uh, one of the things you're doing is you're transferring the problem. So a lot of the monetary policy 
which is sold to us as a domestic uh, tools are actually really driven by by currency wars and and its mirror image which is uh, trade wars and 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 the idea here is you know I want to to, to beggar thy neighbor to try to 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 basically pass along my problems and and, and create competitive um, advantages through through the exchange rate and, and etc and and basically you end up defending yourself by saying well if you devalue by 20 percent uh first thing you do is you try to to devalue yourself and stay sort of competitive this is what we see this race to the bottom with with central banks around the world printing as much as possible in infinite ways but then there's a point where where you actually say well if you devalue by 20 percent i'll tariff you by 20 percent and that sort of neutralizes the 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 currency war and 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 it leaves these guys exposed uh the the other thing that happens is is you're transforming the problem and and this is to your point earlier you know what happens you're not really fixing them you're transforming the problem and i think the transformation it takes very dangerous ways so we are in the process of effectively transforming bubbles into uh inflation and inequality and 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 these things show up and they have done in the past in many ways and you know wars and and uh, basically populism and social unrest are uh, a, a clear consequence of of the abuse from from central banks and, and governments and so sadly all these uh, actions you take based on the false belief that you can actually solve problems by uh, just printing and borrowing um, it creates a situation where you are not solving the problems; you're basically enlarging them, and, and this is the trap we, we're in, and where central banks, you know, uh, in particular, have been uh, rightly or wrongly stepping up to 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 keep uh, thing, things going, and and by doing so, they've created this this process of, of grossly um, artificial valuations. I mean, think about. People here that might be what I call cash flow guys, you know, equity or credit or whatever. You, you, you sort of look at things and say, well, the value of this is the present value of the cash flows. Um, you know, from my perspective, op- optionality and real options, there's, there's other dimensions. But uh, what happens when you discount the present value of $100, you know, 50 years out at, uh, at whatever, 5%, that, that's whatever, roughly, let's say, 11, 13 cents, whatever it is. Uh, when you do that at zero interest rates is 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 par is a hundred so and let's not talk about negative interest rates and and how that completely and dramatically distorted um, valuations because because you get these these things it's like you know I, and, and this is why I wrote the book you know my, my book opened up with you know this this shocking moment when we introduced negative interest rates and 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 it was it sort of felt for those engineers it sort of felt like we were breaking you know zero Kelvin or some, some something that was really not meant to be or happen because you know even, even the the put called parity relationship between equity and fixed income and it, it's completely everything is just broken um, and and so this is super dangerous I think we we we've flirted with that for for a very long time we've created these incentives of, of negative nominal yields and the dramatic distortions and the and how people you know my country included Spain you know. Uh, if you lend them money at negative interest rates, of course uh, you'll take it. Question is, uh, can you ever normalize monetary policy and bring things back to normal without, uh, you know, imploding? 
and, and this is really you know what motivated me to 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 write the book the anti bubbles um it was um uh, sort of a again exploring these dimensions of of monetary policies without limits fiscal and how ultimately everything will show up in the currency uh think about venezuela or or many other countries that have dramatically abused their the, this uh, you know argentina or turkey or many others and eventually all the imbalances end up showing in, in the currency. So in that way, you know, what, what happened has surpassed my, my own expectations. MMT, uh, you know, we, we had seen it before. And, 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 and these things that tend to be exceptional, uh, you know, what used to be unconventional and, and extraordinary measures, uh, unfortunately, in, in central bank land become uh, permanent and, and conventional, as we saw with QE and many other things. So that was really the, the rationale, and it sort of prompted me to 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 see how this movie would would end and forces you to play this this game. And 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 we're going in that direction. And 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 some of the unfortunate things we're seeing are happening, and, and it's not necessarily a a pretty outlook. We'll be back after a quick break. Hello, listeners. Michael Guyad here from Lead Lag Live. Are you ready to take a deep dive into market trends, risk management, and investment strategies? Then you need the Lead Lag Report. Our in-depth analysis helps you understand the financial markets like never before. And guess what? We're giving you a chance to experience it at a discounted rate. Visit theleadlag.report/leadlaglive and get an exclusive thirty percent off on your subscription. Don't miss out. Level up your investment game with the lead lag report. And now back to our discussion. You got me thinking a lot during that in the sense that the common link across bubbles and bursts of bubbles, bubbles and anti-bubbles has really got to be leverage, right? Because leverage is what drives and investment and asset to the moon, and then the margin call is what causes the eventual burst. Is it is it fair to say that if you were going to try to create a quantitative definition around what kind of bubble or anti-bubble regime you might be in, it's purely about how many margined players and what that margin is in that particular asset? Because yeah, I've made this point before on Twitter. The reality is everything is one big fucking leverage trade. Right, whether it's equities, bonds, right, everything is ultimately about debt and releveraging because, to your point, of central bank actions and because that low volatility encourages leverage. Because, to your point about modeling, when you have a prolonged period of low volatility, well, you know, you start making assumptions that asset uh, performance is based on a normal distribution, and that causes ex- excessive leverage. That's what causes the eventual black swan. So, I'm just trying to think out loud here. Is that sort of the, the, the key characteristic in the way that you think about bubbles versus anti-bubbles? It's really purely simply about leverage. No, I think leverage plays a very important part. And you uh, alluded to, to to what I would call, you know, the direct uh, leverage or, or willing leverage, however you want to call it. It's basically, look, I, I bought futures on margin or I borrowed a hell of, I mean, a lot of money to, to just play this in a, uh, you know, to, to have uh, this this um, uh, higher returns, and, and to, to some extent, this is a little bit like a like a dork, a, a dog that comes barking, you know, to you. It, it, you can see that, okay, and 
and uh, you're levered and the, the volatility went up. You got margin calls. You got taken out. Tough luck, okay? But uh, I think some people might be very inexperienced and they might be suffering these things for the first time. But this is uh, relatively fair play and, and, and easy to understand. Um, and what I go into, to, to your point, is what I would call hidden leverage. And the hidden leverage is much more dangerous because you don't even know it's there. Okay, if you bought, uh, you know, gold futures and and, and fair, fair game, you got taken out. Tough luck. But hidden leverage comes uh, is is very linked to volatility because if you think about uh, a portfolio, right, and this link goes to to the point of false diversification that I, I stress a lot. Um, some people think, look. They make a very basic mistake, which is, well, I have a portfolio with a bunch of things, therefore I am diversified. Um, well, that may not necessarily be true. You could have a bunch of things in your portfolio, and all these assets behave effectively as one, as you as you're saying, especially during periods of stress, right? And what happens here, and this is why I use uh, the analogy of fluid mechanics, uh, the markets. Uh, you know, operate under, let's say, linear laminar regime uh, when volatility is low, things are predictable, correlations are whatever. They, they might be uh, optically uh, stable, whatever. But things start to happen. And I, I, I draw the line with the VIX at 40, uh, which is obviously, uh, you know, just, just uh, an indicative level. It could be earlier, it could be greater, but uh, depends precisely on, on the on the leverage in the system and, and, and other considerations. But uh, once things go about 40, then it's it sort of you transition from a more linear world to a more turbulent world. And what happens is your value at risk as a, as a trader or, you know, as a day trader or, or, or anything uh, explodes uh, first because of, of volatility. So your uh, distribution of returns, as you said, uh, the standard deviation increases, your potential losses increase, your margin calls, etc. The the second thing that happens is as people start to force liquidate, uh, because even if you want to hold the position, if you're levered, you, you get taken out by right? these margin calls and whatever, it's uh, liquidity uh, dries out. And, and liquidity understood as the ability to sell a given volume at a given price over a given time. Yeah. So, sorry, mate. You want to, you want to do too too large of a size at, at, at whatever price? You, you can get out of things, but uh, you you may not like it. And 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 what happens as these things get um, spin out out of control is correlations polarize. Uh, and and during periods of stress, effectively correlations go from uh, plus one. Uh, I mean, they, they they go to either one or minus one. So. They, and, and it's relatively easy, uh, you know. If you, I would say orange juice. Okay, I have absolutely no idea what the speculative position in the market was in the orange juice market. But all I know is, if the market was long, it, it will collapse, and if the market is short, it will fly. Okay, it's as simple as that. Because the market effectively is, a, is like a, a massive uh, risk uh, reducing machine and deleveraging machine, etc. And so the combination of uh, higher volatility and thinner liquidity and polarized correlations means that your value risk grows exponentially and completely out of control. And this is, in a way, something the central banks are very aware of 
and they've been trying to to repress uh, volatility very often, create this sense of uh, you know uh, lower risk, this complacency, create this perception that mommy and daddy are always going to be there to come and and, and save you, uh, both because they want and because they can, and I and I and I challenge both. Uh, and and so you you face the situations where of course leverage is the is the killer. Uh, the thing is, is 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 sometimes are people that uh, you know rely very much on their quantitative models. Think about you know the um, uh, respirity, right? During during uh, uh, for example uh, March two thousand twenty, right? Uh, you, you're relying on certain correlations to hold uh, things go the other way. You start to force liquidate, and and so this is something that I I, I think it's as you pointed out, you know, the relationship and the and the catalyst and the process is very much linked to, to in my view, to volatility, which is the key anti bubble in the system. But this feeds very closely into you know leverage in terms of how aggressive the reaction is going to be. And, and that it goes into other drivers such as liquidity and correlation, which are hugely important for for the dynamics of the market. So I 100% agree with you. And the leverage side is just a quite a complex animal that leads to you know very often people have way more leverage than they they thought they did um, simply because of these relationships and how they they change with uh, with the regimes of particularly volatility. We'll be back after a quick break. Foodies unite with How You Dish. It's social media with a secret sauce. Food, the world's first network for food enthusiasts. How You Dish connects foodies across the world. Share kitchen tips and recipe hacks. Discover hidden gem food joints and street food. Find foodies like you. Connect, chat, and organize meetups. How You Dish makes it simple to connect through food anywhere in the world. So... How do you dish? Download How You Dish on the Apple App Store now. So I want to hit a little bit more, Diego, on this this correlation aspect because, yes, right? I mean, arguably, there are very true, very few true diversifiers, right? Because to your point, VIX hits 40, you get some kind of extreme, some kind of tail vent. The joke about diversification is that it fails when you need it the most. Right. Mm-hmm. And that I've always made this argument that there are really, you can argue, kind of three historically somewhat reliable true diversifiers that more often than not tend to not have that, that correlation co movement during the extremes. Those are treasuries, gold, and the US dollar. Right. You're, you're really kind of limited, you know, from my own research to just those three. Now, I want to talk about treasuries for a moment, government. Uh, bonds here because it has been wildly difficult because if you turn to treasuries, unless you were short duration, even that was painful. If you turn to treasuries as your way of playing the anti-bubble, you were just like equities, just not as exposed, but still losing money. How do you view the role of government debt? And obviously talking from a U.S. perspective, but presumably you're going to see the similar dynamic with, with EU bonds. But how do you view the role of, of government bonds as something to diversify against, even though the last, you know, two months here have been clearly uh, awful for the diversification benefits of that risk-off asset? Well, look, I uh, I have a uh, quite an interesting view here, which is very contrarian. And, and my view is, you know, that you will see high inflation 
and uh, zero interest rates. And and this goes uh, very very much against the textbook, right? The textbook says, uh, "Come on, Diego. If inflation comes, then central banks are going to be uh, forced to to hike, and 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 that means that." Um, uh, basically rates will go up and and treasuries go down right um i think we as I, as i said earlier i think we're way past the point of of no no return i think the the bubbles are too big to fail and and we're in a situation where i would say that thinking about inflation and central banks and regimes i would argue that uh, you know there there's sort of two two main regimes in a, in a in a low inflation regime central banks are in control right they can do or say almost pretty much whatever they want. They can get away with way uh, a lot of printing and lots of things, and and and, and nothing happens. In a, in a world of um, high inflation, it's um, it, it's very different. They lose control, and and this is high inflation and high inflation expectations. And I use an analogy in my book. I, I call it the, the frog in, in boiling water. And and what it what it is is you know I've never done it but uh, <laughs> you you take a frog you put it in 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 water in mild water and you start heating it up and and basically it would it would die uh, you know in, from from being boiled in the water if you do it slowly if on the other hand you 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 throw a frog into boiling water it will jump and. I think inflation is a bit the same. You know, we are essentially frogs in, in the in the monetary broth where for the longest time we've been effectively, the temperature has been going up by sort of 2%, 2 degrees uh, per annum, which uh, that's sort of the official target. And, and don't get me started on, on what's real inflation versus official inflation versus real inflation, which, uh, you know, obviously this is much higher the real one that, than the official. But uh, if you think about it, 2% is not, in my opinion, a random number. It's actually scientifically calculated to so that uh, within 10 years, uh, you've lost you know, 20% plus the, the, the compounding. Uh, over 20 years, this, this gets potentially closer to half of your wealth being completely gone. And you know, I'm I'm 48, uh, and I always joke. You know, 20 years is is not what it used to be, um, and, and 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 in that sense, you know, this is this is powerful. The minute inflation uh, is actually higher, you know, three, four, five, let alone seven percent, the degree of of dilution of your purchase power uh, goes exponentially, and and so if you think about it, you know, you have all this government debt at artificially low rates, who Who's going to pay for this? Who who is who is the who's going to pay for the party that we've we've had, uh, you know, with with trillions and trillions of money being printed and apparently no inflation and telling us all this crap that the enemy is deflation and blah blah blah. When obviously central banks have been benefiting from lots of deflationary forces in the system, you know, uh, technology, demographics, uh, you know, overcapacity, whatever, and and, and we find ourselves in. In, uh, in in this situation where uh, the, the the frogs, you know, <laughs> we're being diluted, and uh, and I think the the uh, you know this uh, misconception that uh, there's no inflation when in reality we're losing this purchase power. So the the, the people who are going to lose the the who are going to pay for the party are obviously over the long term are cash, uh, fixed income, and and credit. And if you think about it, this is something that 
accelerates enormously. Who, you know, why why would anybody if if you have a hundred dollars and you you know invest them in in in, in bonds and, and you're going to get a hundred back in Europe if you're if you're lucky, uh, you know those hundred euros that you might get back in in ten, twenty, thirty years. I'm going to buy you absolutely nothing, okay? The purchase power of those 100 euros is absolutely nothing. And so, you know, I think I, I've said also, and I use another analogy, you know, if, if I need to explain to my teenage kids, you know, this this game called investments as if it was a video game, I'd say, look, there are three levels here. And level one is, can you make money in nominal terms? So can you turn your $100 or euros into more than that? Uh, that would be level one. And we've been playing that level for a while. Uh, level two would be, can you make money in real terms? So if, it's fine. You, you turn your 100 euros into 101, but sorry, mate, inflation was 7%. You actually lost six. And and uh, this is where people are starting to to, to awaken to this this uh, new reality of of, uh, of real rates. And, and this obviously becomes more obvious as things accelerate. Level three would be, can you make money in real terms after taxes, which are obviously also on, on, on the way up. So to, to this point, when you think about the sheer amount of government debt uh, that we have across the world uh, and, 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 and corporate debt uh, also, you know, are we in a situation where, you know, if you have a, you know, a billion dollars of, of debt uh, at 5% and, and, and rates go down to zero, you might think, well, I can, I can afford a lot more and I'm going to have 10 or 100 billion uh, at zero, anybody can afford a hundred billion of, of debt. The problem is when when rates go up, and so you can't afford. And I, I think you know a situation where interest rates would go up above one percent would already break the boat. I mean, we saw that in in Q4 2018 when Powell famously was on autopilot uh, hiking rates. Uh, you know, things went to two and a half percent, and and we. We blow up. You know, we had to emergency cut down to one and a half. And this was before COVID. What's happened since the amount of debt is, is grown uh, in, in a brutal way. And so I think that the, it's virtually impossible that we can normalize uh, monetary policy. They they told us this story about, uh, you know, temporary and, and uh, crap. And we know many of these things are, are very structural and there's other other problems. And so we're in this situation where, in my opinion, uh, you know, they, they have absolutely no choice. And as inflation goes up and people start to realize, oh, my God, as a frog, I'm going to I'm going to get out of this this fixed income because, yeah, I, I'm fooled by the nominal returns, but I'm really uh, losing a huge amount of purchase power. I should be in something else like commodities or real estate or gold or whatever. And as that happens, who is going to take the other side? I mean, what sort of volume you need to continue to support the the ongoing spending and debt plus the outflows and and that effectively sends yields higher which effectively get your uh government to, to default because you know if, if you don't intervene so i think this ends not only with um reversal of of interest rates and uh, most of the hikes and winding uh, but also a return of QE, but I think they will have to go further into what uh, it's known as yield curve control, which is no longer, oh, I'm going to print $120 billion a month and, and sort of see what happens, is I'm going to print infinite amount of money so that 10-year yields are at my target. And, and this is what Japan has been doing and, uh, and for, for a long time now. 
And I think this is something that we will follow. So to, to your question, you know, uh, I, I think uh, nominal treasuries uh, will be under pressure because central banks have no choice but to, to pretend that they're doing something about inflation. But faced with the bubbles and what it means to, to hike rates, uh, I think they will eventually come and, and, and buy them. So they, you have plenty of room. 30-year treasuries, you know, at, at, at 220 uh, roughly that's whatever over sixty percent of of, uh, of of PV just of the coupons if you went to zero right like in Europe so in nominal terms treasuries have plenty of of, of upside even if the the rates are substantially lower than, than than previous crisis and I think that defending power will come alongside the the moving equities so I, I do believe that uh, treasuries have a, a role to play in nominal terms. Uh, we'll see how effective they are in 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 real terms, um, but this is something that again the the fear of inflation and and people pretending that you know uh, you know trying to hedge and shorten uh, this stuff I think can can it can be quite a dangerous game because I think the rules of the game have changed, and as I said at the beginning I think we should we should brace ourselves for a world of very high inflation and very low interest rates which effectively means very negative uh, real yields, which is part of the reason why you're seeing uh, what's happening also in the in the commodity markets. I mean, obviously the the the, the geopolitical situation is is uh, sparking uh, much wilder moves, but uh, but I think overall uh, the, the the battle between real assets and and, and not real uh, and, and and don't get me started on on the on the digital side and others, which I think is, is fascinating. But I think oh, I'm, de- I'm definitely getting you started on that. <laughs> on that but oh, I, I will say, I'll give you a lot of credit because I, I love the way you said that. It's like we're all, we're all frogs in the monetary broth. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm yes. going to have to use that, I think, at some point. And I want to bring the audience up as, as well as George Noble I brought in here. But but I, I am curious because, you know, you talk about uh, you, you run this macro volatility, macro tail risk type of, type of a strategy. Um, nickel had quite a tail move uh, overnight. Um, is it fair to say that you think we're not just in an environment of inflation, but volatile inflation? In other words, you yes. can see these periodic moves where certain commodities, which are key to the economy, suddenly spike overnight, and then something else suddenly spikes months later, right? So you kind of get this these these like whack-a-mole bursts in the commodity space. I'm curious your thoughts on that. Absolutely. I think if you think about commodities, there's something pretty basic, uh, but not well enough understood, which is you cannot print commodities. Right, as simple as that. Uh, you can print currencies, you could print equities, you could print bonds, you could print, you know, arguably a new a new crypto. Um, and, and, and so, in that sense, I think the the commodity side, if if you have a situation, you know, think about your your car, you know, and your petrol tank. You know, you go from empty to full. Okay, so effectively, as you as you are driving your car. You know, uh, those are your physical limits of storage, right? Uh, in a in a situation where you run out of uh, petrol, you're empty. Uh, you're going to be pretty keen, especially if it happens in the middle of the of the highway. You you'll pay pretty much anything to 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 for, for that because you need it. You're uh, and and on the other hand, if 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 someone came in with a, a hose of, of gasoline to give it to you and your your tank is full. Um, thank you very much, but you, you you have nowhere to put it, which explains why we had 
negative prices in crude uh, last year. That's something that happens in the at the spot level. So, in, in the you know effectively the role of inventories is to provide that cushion against supply and demand swings. And but in the absence of of inventories and and storage capacity, which have physical limits, uh, you get this this extreme events of volatility on both sides when you're empty and when you're full. The this obviously applies to the front end of, of the curve. Uh, if you go five years out, you know you're obviously not not as impacted by by these things. You go more to marginal cost, and this moves the commodity market from you know backwardation, contango, and risk premium, whatever. So ultimately, you know what what you see with these major shocks, you know Russia being a major producer of of uh, so many commodities, you know obviously in the energy space uh, with with crude oil and nat gas being hugely dominant. But but many others, including nickel, then these dynamics are, are, are dramatically impacting things. So the degree to which you are going to see the price action is a function of a few, a few things. So the, the energy world is flat. My, my book with Daniel Lacalle, it's I think it's being used as a textbook in some universities because it's a you know mineral economics course. You, you look at the different drivers and forces, and so in the absence of inventories, you might you know see prices as both a uh, an incentive and in, in, in the signal. So the signal is uh, you're going to backwardation. It's like the market is willing to pay more for spot than, than the future. It's giving you a bit of a red flag of of, of shortages, uh, but it's also an incentive. It's an incentive to for producers to respond. It's an incentive for consumers to 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 destroy demand. It's an incentive for to find uh, substitute that demand, and and, and in some ways. Actually, part of the bid in crude is, is coming from substitution demand from from nat gas and demand uh, destruction and others. And so, I think in the, the the other thing that people need to understand it's how long it takes. You know, since the signal is triggered uh, and that incentive is triggered, and 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 in some cases, you know, if you, if you thought about you know the Arctic and oh my God, we have so much oil in the Arctic, or whatever, just plug it in and send it to to my car. Well, you're talking about a process that is easily 10 years. Um, so in that sense, energy security is something you need to plan ahead and you need to have uh, insurance. And so Europe uh, right now is completely and utterly screwed because we have such a huge dependence on, on, on gas. And people tell me, Diego, why don't we, why doesn't the U.S. just, you know, have a lot of gas? Why don't you just send it over? And, and the issue is, well, uh, I'm sorry to tell you, but natural gas happens to be a gas. <laughs> and it's not so easy to transport the gas, right? Uh, you either do it in in, uh, in gas form through pipelines, which you need to build and they're not easy, or you do it in liquid form, which uh, it takes two things. It takes a liquefaction plant on the one end and uh, a regas on the other side. What do you think it's easier to put something at minus 200 plus uh, 200 degrees or or to let it uh, go back to normal room temperature. Obviously, the te- technological problems come on the liquefaction side. These are, you know, 10 billion uh, to 15 billion uh, five, you know, year year projects. Uh, so it's not easy to just just do it, and uh, and it takes a long time, etc. Uh, the other way in which you could do it is in 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 solid form, so fertilizers or other forms in which you do this, or or obviously services. And I think. You know, if you look at the the U.S. today with nat gas roughly uh, around twenty five thirty dollars a barrel of oil equivalent in Europe around three fifty, you know, ten twelve fifteen times more expensive. 
this is a really, really, I mean, a major, um, basically competitive advantage of the U.S. versus Europe right now. Uh, I think Putin, you know, uh, things are going to be very volatile because of what I just discussed. And there's this energy weapon that he could just, you know, shut Europe with with gas. Uh, it's way more. I mean, uh, what I'm going to say sounds uh, bad, but obviously, uh, nuclear would be an absolute disaster. But I think Europe uh, would hurt even more in some ways uh, through through and, and much more easily uh, through through the energy channel if 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 this was cut. Uh, and countries like Germany, I think, are, are incredibly dependent. So. Yes, I think it's going to be a very volatile uh, run. Uh, you know, suddenly uh, Iran and Venezuela are, are fantastic friends, and let's let's just open the, the gates and, and and let them in. Um, it's a lot of ha- things happening. You have a lot of things, you know, that swing things in both directions. SPR releases, uh, but you know, ultimately you cannot print commodities and, and and energy. And I think related to this, it's interesting. I'll I'll, I'll touch on. On, on, on the early discussion of monetary policy, you have written this. By the way, I, I write a monthly report called the Anti-Bubble Report. So I talk about a lot of these things. If anybody's interested in, just you can subscribe for free. Um, but one of the points I made is, you know, central bank, sorry, governments cannot print oil, but they can print dollars to subsidize the oil. And and this is yet again sort of the usual mindset of governments and, and uh, who think, oh, uh, I have a problem. What do I do? Uh, do I fix it or do I just <laughs> patch it? And, and effectively printing money to, to subsidize energy has, has a little problem, which is uh, if you are uh, in Saudi Arabia and um, electricity is free, uh, you will have your aircon full on and your window open. And you, don't, you couldn't care less because, you know, it's free. So there's really no incentive whatsoever for demand destruction or anything else. And therefore, you know, when you have those sort of uh, dynamics and you're printing money and you're not destroying demand, the, the price will go up to the point where some demand has been destroyed eventually. And, and the higher it goes, the more money you need to print along the process, which likely effectively is just going to devalue your currency, et cetera. So you have this double whammy in, in, in through the through the monetary side and currencies and 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 there are things like the Chinese yuan or or, or other uh, currencies that are that perplex me uh, and, and and that I think are fascinating and, and and so it's all very interrelated on how how you know you, you see we've gone back in full circle to inflation and monetary policy and energy and it's all very closely interrelated and and but the principles like in physics or whatever are, are relatively uh, you know, few and 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 they and they're very common. So they they, they yeah. You know, I think that's how I see this playing out. I think what uh, we need to differentiate between the economic uh, situation and uh, the financial impact. Okay, what what I was referring to is if uh, Russia decided to cut the the gas. Immediately, I'm not talking about the PE and the markets and trying to immediately, um, you know, a very large proportion of Germany would stop in terms of uh, industrial production. And and that is um, that's real and that's immediate. And it means uh, shortages. It means you cannot, uh, uh, you know, if the winter is cold and, and we've been lucky so far, 
but I'm talking about plants literally stopping. And uh, obviously, depending on what you're producing, if it's a final product or you're in the middle of the chain, it will have an impact to to other parts of the world. And and this is what we've we've suffered along along COVID. So I think Germany and Europe in particular would suffer the economic impact instantaneously uh, in in our homes, in our in our companies, etc. And and to you don't need that to be that long. I mean, you, you, a week or two weeks would be an absolute disaster and panic. And 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 that's why I think that that the the energy war and 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 Putin's uh, some somewhat in, in in control on that side. Uh, the other side of the question is obviously before I get to the U.S. The you know we're putting enormous pressure on 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 Putin and his finances, and I think this is going beyond what anybody, including Putin, might might have anticipated at first. And it, it's sort of you know two two sides trying to choke each other. One on the on the natural resources physical side, the other one on the on the finance. And I think we have two two losers. Uh, both are going to find alternatives. So I, I personally think that Putin would have never done this without the implicit um, support from China. And if you looked at the small font uh, in the UN National Security Council, the, the 13 3 1 vote where Russia vetoed and China voted to abstain, um, India also abstained. So uh, the fact that I think, given the circumstances, to abstain in that vote is an implicit support. And so uh, Russia, I think it's well aware of the damage is done to its relationship to Europe for forever, I would say, for the foreseeable future. Uh, things have to change enormously for, for things to go back. The damage is already done and we're all going to look for security in many ways. And, and I think that, that support from 2.8 billion people in principle is, is telling. And what you're saying, obviously, with respect to the financial markets and how the bubbles burst, you know, especially... Given the impact on on, on on high duration and 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 the shock, yes, you you know the, the the I would agree that the valuations have been more extreme. There are bubbles left, right, and center uh, everywhere uh, in 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 the financial markets and the U.S. and they've been more extreme. Uh, you know, made the point uh, often the difference between wealth and and wealth effect. You know, wealth is real. Wealth effect is an illusion of wealth. You know, it's sort of I would define it as, as an unrealizable wealth. <laughs> if everybody tried to sell their trillion uh, dollar worth of Dogecoin, uh, it's obviously worth zero. So, you know, this wealth effect is is powerful on the way up. It's uh, also powerful on the way down. And I think this is something that I, I agree with you that uh, the the U.S. would hurt. But uh, my point was they're they're hurting in, in different ways. And uh, when it comes down to the energy sector and the huge impact it has in the economy and, and our lives, I think the U.S., uh, I'm going to be a bit cynical here, but uh, the fact that the U.S. is uh, banning uh, Russian crude oil, it's totally irrelevant for the U.S. because you don't import any whatsoever. And now you go at all, almost nothing, and you, you can go to be cynical and go to, to Venezuela and negotiate with Maduro. Uh, and that's uh, that's, that's uh, quite something. But you're creating a moral hazard to actually get European countries to do it. And so I feel it's, you know, it's almost like a trap to, to Europe to say, look, I am the good guy here. I'm, 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 
I'm doing this. Of course, you're doing that because your natural gas is at $25 a barrel of oil equivalent. You're crude, you're energy independent, and you're actually going to, uh, to a dictatorship to get your oil, which I think is super cynical. Whereas Europe, if, if Europe is actually banning the gas, they're going to send 50% of their industrial production into, into stop, and it's going to be the, the matter of the recession. So I, I think it's, there's a lot of games, and it's, it's very asymmetric payouts. But all in all, uh, beyond PEs and bubbles, I think this is uh, you know, an extraordinarily uh, complex situation where Europe is, is, is going to suffer the most. Uh, obviously, Russia will have a tremendous impact. Uh, but overall, it's, it's, it has negative implications across the board. But I, I think the U.S., on a relative basis, comes uh, the strongest. The, the problem is that the central banks are trapped. And this is really the sweet spot or, or the weak spot, the Achilles heels. Uh, you've been claiming for the longest time that inflation is you know, basically transitory, and um, and there are a lot of things that uh, are, are very structural about this, and, and and we could go into things like ESG, uh, you know, the lack of investment uh, in many things. We could go about globalization and how perhaps we went too far on dependencies on, on supply chains. We can go on with many things, but this idea and this overconfidence from central banks to pretend that they can actually control inflation and 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 you know, by, by hiking rates is is reckless, is is negligent, and and they have created this this complacency, this brutal amount of uh, uh, you know printing and 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 incentivizing debt and other things that uh, are very difficult to to unwind. Uh, in in some ways, it's a bit like spending the day in the beach with no sun cream. You know, you, you by the time you, you you may not fully appreciate, but I guess many of us. <laughs> know what I'm talking about. A few hours later at night, you 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 know you're totally burnt, and and so there's a delayed effect in many of these things, and and their overconfidence in in uh, in their ability to control this, it's uh, it's, it's reckless, and and I think you know that two percent limit, all these things that we've seen historically, that ceiling on inflation was there for a reason, right? And the minute you actually pretend, and this was what really. Uh, a tipping point, I think, for, for the problems we're seeing today was when they decided to remove the ceiling and pretend that, okay, you know what, we've spent so long before 2% that let's just let it run. So we average 2%. And, and this thing has gone completely out of control. And, and, and yeah, some of these things will be resolved by themselves because, you know, if, once uh, inflation goes nuts uh, and, and the economy goes into, into recession, then, yeah, you, you're facing... Stagflation, you know, it's, it's not bullish. It's certainly not bullish. I think uh, Sven uh, uh, Hendricks was like, you know, let me give you some bullish stance. You know, this stuff will correct. I was like, no, mate, uh, <laughs> you're defining stagflation. It's not bullish stagflation. It's, it's actually a nightmare. So, yeah. so I think in that sense, uh, I, I, uh, I do think it's it's something that it's also a joke that we pretend that we can uh, fight inflation with hikes of you know whatever. One percent or one and a half, or the terminal rate at two and a half, and so I think the central banks are are very much to blame for the massive excesses that have been built for for a long time. Uh, governments obviously are uh, the, the the left pocket that lends you know gives money to the right pocket. They, they are 
there's no independence whatsoever between the central banks and the governments. It's, it's, it's a joke. Uh, and, and so this process, that, that lack of independence, this uh, abuse by, by governments of, of the fiscal side, which has been financed by money printing, has trapped them. And now you have situations that will not be fixed and that uh, put them in a very difficult situation. So I do think the Fed will hike. They have to. They have to, no matter what. Yep. And, and this is double whammy. Uh, to to things because you're you're getting inflation that you can't control hikes that are not going to fight inflation and are going to prick some of the valuations and uh, and and so it, this is you know their own fault to to a large extent I think this is you know is 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 really frustrating and they get very very upset about this because is this uh, you know this reckless negligent behavior that has, is is getting us into into this situation. Right? No, look, of course, I think there's going to be many things that we're going to go to, to down in nominal terms. And I, I, I had a tweet the other day that basically, you know, responded to, to, to a question on this. And it was sort of, if, if you think about printing infinite amount of money, then you would argue that uh, everything, you know, as the dollar goes to converges to zero, right? Like the Venezuela, uh, Bolivar or whatever then everything denominated in dollars goes to infinity, right? And that's your question. It's like, to some extent, uh, as, as the dollar and, and central banks and fiat uh, converges to zero, then pretty much by definition, everything will go up. But if, if you remember our, our uh, math uh, lesson back in high school with uh, this thing called limits, uh, there are different rates at which you converge to zero. So <laughs> there are things that are going to converge to zero way faster than than the dollar and, and so i do think there's a lot of garbage and a lot of stuff and a lot of bubbles and a lot of leverage and a lot of things that will not only go down in nominal terms they will go to zero and and this is something that uh you know it, it's highly correlated you know when when these things start to pop uh they they they, they tag a bunch of others with with them so i i do categorically think that there's going to be a lot of losers in nominal terms even with very high inflation and uh, and, and fiat uh, currencies eventually converging to zero. Yo, Diego, first time you and I speak formally. I really do appreciate the hour. Hopefully you got some, some good follows out of it, and hopefully everybody here enjoyed the conversation. So everybody enjoy the rest of your day, and thank you again, Diego. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you, everybody, and I uh, look forward to continuing the discussion. All the best, guys. Thank you, everybody. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on X, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube, and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets.